0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number three hundred and seventy-nine, featuring Jeff Stringer, director of production technology over at Leica, uh, who's a really great guy. I've actually known uh, Jeff a long time ago, back when he was at the ED. He was, uh, I believe, the director of studio or something. Uh, I think that was the title, but he pretty much ran a lot of the, 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 managed the studio and the resources of the studio. Uh, on both sides of uh, commercials and feature films. And um, he was really great. He was really great. So I, I, I knew him back then. And it was really cool catching up with him. But he has been at Leica for the last 14 years and has been doing some really good stuff. And it was really a lot of fun catching up with Jeff, Finding out about you know his origin story, which is really cool and interesting, and you guys will <laughs> definitely enjoy that. I didn't know all those things about him back when I knew him almost 20 years ago, uh, but it was really cool to catch up. And then also uh, a lot of the ins and outs of Leica and a Stop Motion Studio over in Portland, Oregon, which obviously a lot of you guys know who Leica is, but it was really cool catching up with him. Uh, Kristen, what did you think of g podcast? <laughs>
1: well yeah so this podcast um we get to kind of hear why he moved on to Leica. um he mm-hmm. said he was kind of blown away by their ambition of just their idea to build a multi-production studio doing stop-motion cg um and then he kind of discusses the 3d printing and their facial animation process which is amazing in itself and then yep. um he also discusses like their virtual art department LED backlighting and then their new movie Wildwood, which is uh based on a young adult fiction series. Um and he, of course it's gonna be a, a couple years till it's finished, but um right. that movie is actually based in Portland, so they get to make little miniatures of that on set. So it's a really good podcast, especially for anyone interested in this uh area.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of cool to see that. I mean, I was very interested. You know, obviously, uh, a stop-motion studio uh, or a studio mainly focused on stop-motion, based on stop-motion, tends to be a little different. Even though they do do a lot of uh, CG in it, and they've done, obviously, you said they were using virtual art departments and LED backdrops. So all those things are very interesting. But in the context of of a stop-motion studio, it's really kind of great to, to see what they're doing. So. Really, uh, really thank you so much, Jeff, for being on. And hopefully we will. He said, he promised me that you will get more people from like it to be on the podcast as well at some point. So I'm excited to talk to them <laughs> and find out what's going on over in Portland. Uh, OK, we have uh, we have an announcement. What's going on, Kristen?
1: Yeah, so you can find this out at chaos slash events. So June 23rd, it's the chaos campus live show. And this will be episode four. And we have guest Katia Kolevia. Hope I said that correctly. Um, And she will join Nikos for just an inspiring discussion about lighting design and being passionate about what you do. So again, June 23rd. And you can sign up at chaos.com slash events.
0: Great. Uh, That's really cool. We don't have any uh, specific product uh, announcements just yet, but some big ones are coming soon. So stay tuned. But if people want to know more about the podcast, Kristen, where can they go?
1: You can go to facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast or chaos.com slash CG Garage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV.
0: Perfect. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other guests on the podcast, we would love to know. Uh, just uh, email us, labs at chaos.com. But for now, please enjoy episode number 379 with Jeff Stringer from Like Welcome
1: to another CG garage Where the chaos group talks You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range We know that ambient occlusion is passé Global illumination won't lead you astray And while image-based lighting is really swell you need to make sure everything has for now.
0: Listen, it was great seeing you at the VS. It was, uh, I hadn't seen you. Been that Maybe a long. 20 years.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm hopefully not that long, but yes, it seems like it. And
0: uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. It's been. Event. Absolutely. And it was really cool, uh, you know, uh, to, to see you there. And, and uh, I mean, obviously we've, we've chatted here and uh, here and there over email and stuff uh, over the, the time, but, Um, First of all, you've been at Lycan now for a long time, right?
2: Yeah, It's almost like it's uh, its own career. I've been here 14 years, 14 years,
0: 14 years. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. Um, All right. But I do want to start with um, your like, you know, what I like to do is people's origin stories. And uh, I actually had Darren Grant on uh, last week. Um, uh, and so, uh, he said, yeah, you should talk to Jack, ask him about where he came from. Like, like what's his origin story. So like, <laughs> okay. how did you start getting into this? What, what, what okay. sort of got you involved?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, a, I guess it's a good story. I mean, um, I was a film student in college. I, 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 wanted to be a filmmaker. I, I was excited about that. Uh, I went to a program at San Francisco state. Uh, it was a great program. It was called the core and there was Uh only 20 students allowed in you had to make a short film to get into this thing Um, and they focused on you know experimental uh avant-garde kinds of movie making and and documentaries and you know kind of non-commercial filmmaking Uh, right very san francisco state kind of program and it was awesome because there was such a small group of us we got we got access to all the equipment that we needed uh, and um, the particular kinds of films I was making led me down a more technical path because I was doing these kind of, you know, avant-garde things. I was inspired by the work of people like Maya Darin and Stan Brackage, maybe other okay. guys. Yeah. You know, it was formalist kinds of filmmaking. But um, as a result, I learned how to use the high-speed camera. You know, I learned how to uh, use an optical printer. You know, we had an optical printer. I did some visual effects with an optical wow. printer. Wow. You know, which was kind of cool. This was the dark ages. We were working on 16 millimeter film shooting with Molexes mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, but it was a great education. Um, and towards the end of that, um, I got involved with this theater company in San Francisco, which, uh, really opened a lot of doors for me. It's a company that, uh, you should definitely Google this George Coates performance works. And it was uh, okay. during the eighties and nineties in San Francisco, George and his um, troupe of uh, artists were making these very um, kind of large-scale theatrical performances that mixed a bunch of medias. They were kind of immersive experiences. You could go in the theater and be surrounded with light and sound. And there was dancers, there was um, operatic uh, musicians, uh, singers, and we were mixing a bunch of things together. Um, But he had this great theater down at 7th and Market in the basement of the Hastings law school. If you've ever been to San Francisco. Okay. And it was a uh, cathedral space. It had been a church that had been like, you know, they put a a false ceiling in and kind of hid it from everyone. It was a, uh, but they opened it up and rented it out to George as a part of a, um, a settlement he got for uh, having his last theater space damaged in the 1989 earthquake. So oh. it was a well-funded theater all of a sudden with a great okay. space. And um, so it was an opportunity actually to work there and actually get paid for doing this crazy artistic stuff. Uh, it was a cool outfit. Um my, my role there was to develop scenic projection, um, which was this, uh, you know, we were using stereo projection, you know, so you okay. can imagine a bunch of slide projectors. Um, yep. With uh, stereo polarized lenses on the front of them, and we went through um, kind of a series of images, and then we would place actors inside these images, uh, live actors inside this sixty foot uh, stage, you know, vertical stage. It looked like actually it looked like an iPhone. This was the <laughs> this was the shape of our performance, you know, with this. Kind wow, but <laughs> sixty <laughs> feet tall. Um, wow, and of course, you know, nobody knew about the iPhones, but that just yeah. happened to be what we did but it was a great experience because we got to mix together with a bunch of artists. You know, my job was to kind of curate different images from different photographers in town uh, and get them to put stuff up on the screen. And then George would pick out images that he liked and we would mix them together with music and film. I would shoot high speed effects and things to put on that screen. And um, there were a bunch of other crazy people working there um, involved in different kinds of art forms, but we also got interest from the local industry. You know, um,
0: because
2: it was a nice space um, and they would come and do events there. And one event in particular uh, that's memorable was uh, when Steve Jobs was not at Apple, but he was launching next. And he had this computer, you know, that he was trying to launch. And they actually came to George Coates Theater to do the event And it was the first time any of us had seen anything like that. You know, uh, this beautiful designed cube of a computer. It was a work of art, just the, you know, the chassis.
0: I know it well. (laughs) Well, that's what I first learned how to do anything. Computer graphics was actually on a next computer because I was using it for doing Mathematica back in school. It was, it was magnesium. It was a really interesting design. Yeah.
2: Okay. There you go. And so, you know. They left it there. After they did their event, they left the computer. Nobody could uh-huh. use it. I mean, we didn't know how to do anything with it. But we started to invite local engineers to come by and kind of collaborate with us in the theater space. And as a result, um, we had people from local software companies. There was a guy who used to come out from uh, uh, JPL, uh, who was like a, an actual aerospace you know, rocket scientist. And he mm-hmm. would teach us rudimentary uh, Linux or Irix commands. And, mm-hmm. So we all kind of got familiar with the tech uh, through that experience and we put on these big shows. And one show we did, uh, was called invisible Sight. It was a, uh, it was a big hit and it kind of did a parody or a, you know, sort of an imagining of what the future would be like if we were all living in virtual worlds, which seemed to be where we were headed in the early (laughs) nineties. And, um, yeah, it was quite prescient and it was funny and, um, we got partially funded to, to finish the show by Silicon Graphics, big company at the time mm-hmm. right there in the, in mountain view. Um, and they, uh, liked it so much that they invited us all out to SeaGraph. Uh, this is like 1991, I think, uh, to put on the show for their developers. And so that was wow. my first exposure to that world. You know, I was coming from like, you know, sort of creative filmmaking, uh, experimental stuff with theater companies. And then suddenly, you know, boom, here's this whole industry of people similar to us. It's kind of like going to a Grateful Dead show, Seagraph, in 1991. Yeah. Uh, But, but, you know, making a living and doing really fascinating things. Uh, So I kind of got my hooks in me there and started to track what was happening in that world. Right. Uh, And then, I guess... um, Yeah, it was time to to, uh, make, you know, a a living. Uh, The theater paid, but not well enough to start a family. And I met my wife there at the theater. And um, so I went looking for a a job and I called up some of the people that um, we collaborated with in the theater. Uh, One of them was this guy named Bob Powell, who was an engineer that worked at Chaos Inc. Um, You may remember it starts with an X, X X-A-O-S. It's how they spelled it, not like your chaos, but chaos. Right, right, right. And it was a great uh, company that had um, figured out uh, a software development program for doing morphs. You probably remember morphs, you know, once you mm-hmm. kind of took over for a period of time. And they had some other cool effects, too. And they decided to spin off a company to sell the software to other broadcast um, companies. And that became Chaos Tools and
0: uh okay
2: do you does it do you remember
0: it's familiar i mean i i remember what was the what was the electric image was one i remember
2: yeah Yeah. some of those guys uh they were around around the same time uh Mm -hmm. our team ended up working over there but um but yeah so the job was come and help us market this software it was called pandemonium okay and there was another package called Title, which was basically just a uh, you know, a, a Chiron, you know, character generator, but Mm -hmm. for for an SGI computer, um, so you can imagine this was like a big deal, uh, because, you know, the broadcast world was operating, you know, on like standalone dedicated equipment for doing all these things. And suddenly you could buy a computer and maybe put some software on it and do all kinds of new things like morphs or, you know, character generating and, so my job was to call all those companies that did, you know, broadcast commercial spots uh, around the West Coast, uh, and right. try to get them to use that software. So that was another, you know, kind of great education, right, into, into this world of of doing visual effects and design, right.
0: right, right. And the company- so you were selling software, basically.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I got to go to all the trade shows. You know, I went to, um, you know, NAB and and C-Graph multiple times to sell the software. And kind of opened up more doors of like, wow, there's all this amazing stuff going on in this world. Um, Yeah, I remember noticing how different NAB was from Seagraph.
0: Nice.
2: You go there and it's like, Seagraph is like, you know, very creatively driven, not necessarily thinking about the market potential of everything that's happening. uh, But at NAB, it was about the money and it was about, you know, like making a business of this. Right. Right. You know, people would show up with wads of cash to buy software, you know, because that's how it worked, you know? Yep. Uh, So that was a fascinating time. And the company, you know, it was venture funded. Uh, I think we spun through the money pretty quick. And uh, we didn't have a second product. So they decided to change their business model anyway. I wasn't a great salesman anyway. You know, it was not really my calling. Um, But uh, I did meet a lot of customers. And before they rolled me off that's where I went looking for a job next it was like, okay, who did I like of all these people that I called? Mm-hmm. Um, and the next company I found was Atari, you know, right there in San Jose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were called at the time they were, they were under the banner of time Warner interactive. Uh, so okay, the glory days of Atari were long, long past. Um, but, uh, they were still making some great arcade games. You know, they had these, uh, you know, um, the kind of stuff you could still find in arcades today. Actually, I think some of the games I worked on are still there and uh-huh. they had set up, uh, a new team called the video lab that was experimenting with ways to, um, use video to, you know, instead of sprite animation for characters.
0: Uh, okay.
2: And so that's, that was my next gig. Uh, and it was a great one too. I mean, I, they had a, they had a great budget. Uh, it was a super creative team. Um, and what I got to do in particular was to build a motion capture studio, you know, one of, the, one of the first, I think, out there. I think it was a Vicon system. Um, and we would uh, capture motion and put that into, into the games. But also we, we set up this giant kind of psych green screen space, a full on 360 surround green screen, and then put cameras in the walls and uh, would shoot you know, basketball players and different, uh, different kinds of things. The one game that you can maybe still see out there that was made this way uh, is a game called Area 51. Um, It's a shooter. Have you heard of it? Have you seen that? Uh (laughs) Well, some people may have. Uh, I think it's still around. Uh, Yeah, and all the characters in it were video. Uh, Except for for these little villain characters that were supposed to be aliens, those characters were stop-motion animated. Um,
0: Yeah, okay.
2: So, you know, the game that kind of Pioneered that workflow was called Primal Rage. It's another one that's still still out there. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I was working with stop motion animators on little tiny stages. There was this legendary animator named Pete Kleinow, uh, doing wow. the dinosaurs, and uh, and he also did the little uh, alien creatures for Area Fifty One. And my job was really just to like make sure the stuff worked. Uh, there was a team of about five of us there, learning different things. Uh, getting the the images into the pipeline for the game developers, and it's a very programming centric kind of environment.
0: Um, right.
2: right. 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 We were we were in service of
0: that. So this was your foray into the beginning of visual effects and, and stop motion was. Yeah, it's kind of interesting.
2: Time. Yeah, it's interesting. The stop motion was there from the, from day one, uh, right. and it's still there today. I think I really liked working with those guys. Yeah. But yeah, that was also um, a couple of years. And then the big opportunity, uh, there's a company in town called Tippett Studio. And stop yep. uh, motion legend, you know, Phil. And they had, uh, they had just booked somehow the, the work to do the creatures, the bugs for Starship Troopers. And oh. uh, so a friend of mine who had heard about this, who was working with us at Atari, a woman named Suzanne Lowe. She also worked at Chaos, so we she kind of kept in touch over the years. Uh, she was like, "We got to go over there. and We got to apply. They're going to hire a bunch of people. It's going to be great. They're going to do this right. movie." Paul Verhoeven, obviously, you know, was the was the director. They had a relationship with Tippett from from the uh, RoboCop days, and uh, yep. they had this huge <laughs> task of to do these digital creatures, and no idea how they were going to do it. Really, I mean, there was like a handful of people. Who had done a proof of concept and they they got the gig so they had to build everything from scratch you know full-on digital infrastructure hire all the talent um and i went in and interviewed uh to be um, a coordinator or something i was like you know what can i do um mm-hmm. what i know and uh i guess i did a good interview because Jules, phil's phil's partner uh, at the time uh she was like you know why don't you come in and manage operations for us wow i <laughs> know uh, it was hilarious i was like uh okay yeah i could do that sure and uh i if i had known what i was getting into i would not have done it but uh okay it was, it was a mountain of, of work and a bunch of unknowns but ended up being you know making a career for me i mean it was a it was a great experience and a great team i mean it, they, they had such a strong core creative team there. Um, there was Phil obviously, and Craig Hayes who were kind of running things creatively. And then there was also, you know, some people, there was an animator there who, uh, you know, Adam Valdez, who's now like, you know, a major, you know, visual effects supervisor. I think there he's at MPC now. He's been on a million projects. He's won Oscars and He was an animator there who was just curious minded (laughs) and um, he got involved in everything. He helped troubleshoot and fix things and we were all just figuring it out. You know, there was no, um, no blueprints for how to do it for sure. Um, you know, we were scanning film and recording film and, uh, that was one of the biggest headaches, frankly, was, uh, how to, how to do that properly. Uh, uh-huh. so you know, the images looked right. We had this problem with, uh, like red flare around certain highlight images that we couldn't figure out. I think Adam got involved in that one and helped figure it out. Um, but yeah, we had to kind of put that whole studio together from scratch and it was, it was, it worked. The movie came out, the creatures looked awesome. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's that, from that point on, I'm kind of in the, in the stream of
0: visual effects. Right. Okay. So you, what else did you do uh, besides Starship Troopers uh, at Tippett? What were the other projects you worked on?
2: Yeah, there was um, there was a very uh, important time right after Troopers when, you know, Troopers was set up as a Sony uh, pictures operation, you know, kind yeah. of within Tippett. And so our employer was, <laughs> even though we were doing everything with Tippett, and um, we bought, you know, all the computers, Silicon Graphics computers, super, you know, huge budget just for the equipment, the people at the time, were less expensive than the computers. Um, and, uh, we recruited a great team, um, mostly from the fallout of the CD ROM, you know, kind of, uh, era in San Francisco where there was mm-hmm. a bunch of work being done by graphic artists and this kind of higher level tech work. And those people became our compositors and our rotoscopers. And, uh, and then we found 3d people who learned their skills. It was a great technical guy there. Uh, Doug Epps, is another guy you should talk to, he's, he, he's got a good perspective on this industry, okay. And he built the pipeline for, for Tippett Studio, you know, all the software and, and so on, right? Uh, but when the movie finished, there was this moment of like, okay, are we done? Is this over? I mean, we built this great studio, we want to keep going, so right. we negotiated to buy everything from Sony. And uh, I got to get involved in that, which was a lot of fun, just to kind of you know make a deal to keep the computers. And we had a, mm-hmm. a great deal. Uh, and then we just had to book some projects, which wasn't hard. I mean, Phil you know, was an in de- in-demand supervisor. Uh, so we worked on my favorite Martian, uh, a movie called Virus, uh, which was really fun. Uh, we usually got hired to do creature and animation work. And right. um, we were able to build on that. There was another fun project called uh, Komodo, Komodo dragon, something like that, another creature spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was going pretty well. I think um, the company was growing. We were continuing to book work. They're still going strong today. You know, it's a great company. Uh, But I got a a little bit restless. Um, I was looking for, I think what happened honestly uh, was there was this moment where we kind of had a gap. You know, it's a famous problem in visual effects where you're kind of going strong. You get a lot of people and then you run into like, oh, this project isn't booked until then. Or it's not, we don't know if it's going to book and what do you do, you know? Um, And so we did have to kind of lay off a bunch of people. And I didn't think, you know, I was new to this business. The business was new to the world. No one knew how this stuff worked. Um, And I thought, boy, that's bad. I don't want to go through that again. I mean, like I had to personally talk to like, you know, all these people because that was my role was one of those places where you had to wear a lot of hats. Uh, I was right. doing HR. I was doing systems. I was doing software <laughs> engineering. Um, uh, but yeah, that got my attention. I was like, well, we need to, we need to have more types of projects. We need commercials. We need, you know, like we need a way to keep this engine running all the time. Uh, it was a big motivator for me at the time. And, um, I think it was through a, um, a salary survey. This was an early industry thing. Um, there's a survey out there that where the companies will blindly contribute information about their, you know, their 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 roles and all the different positions that we have, and then the, what we pay people. And it's blind, so there's no collaboration or anything. But uh, people get data that way, and they can tell like, am I paying market? Am I in the market? Or like, where's the market going? And we went to, I went to one of those meetings, the first one of its kind, I think the survey was called Dunlap survey and it was held at Pixar and all these HR and, you know, kind of operations people from other studios had showed up and there was a woman there from Digital Domain and we got to talking and she was like, oh, you know, there's this thing happening where we're, we need a person to do X, Y, and Z. And I pursued that and uh, decided to move down to LA and, you know, join digital domain.
0: Um, okay, you know, now had you? I mean, so you had always been sort of up in the Bay Area this whole time. So you going yeah, right. to LA was a big move, right? <laughs>
2: it was. That's a good. That's a good topic. Uh, my wife did not speak to me for like a good solid, you know, long time. <laughs> she was so upset about the prospect, and of course, you know, in the Bay Area, people do tend to get a little snobby about the south for some reason i don't get it i never did get it even when i was there i was like what what's the problem that weather's a little nicer you know there's a lot of work down there um yeah. so yeah we went and, and and ultimately gina did adjust she loved she loved it after a while you know it la's great and if you live in the right parts which to me was the west side you know like i lived uh, i could walk to 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 digital domain you know so right it was great
0: yeah. Like, so yeah. okay, so so you got to DD and what was what was your what did you start off what was your role at DD when you first started there?
2: Yeah, I came in as the um director of digital production they called it.
0: Uh, okay. That was it. Yeah.
2: So they had this concept at DD and this by the way was a great education for me too because um Tippet, you know, we had kind of invented a structure. Um and and we came up against all those problems that every company has where you like, you've got these strong creative people, but now we've got an organization to run too. How do we manage people and have strong creatives? Oh, can we have them do both? It turns out, no, you can't really have them do both. You know, it's not great. Um, but people continue to try to this day. That's a problem <laughs> in a lot of studios. Um, and it's hard cause it costs money, you know, to have these extra people, but, um, So when I went to DD, one of the things I was looking for was like, you know, how do we get better at this organizational structure? How do we build it so that it's stronger and more resilient and we support the creatives a little better? And this role was perfect for that. It was, uh, it was all about, um, managing, you know, the, the, the artists, uh, and kind of building those teams. Um, and, you know, the idea was to cultivate the talent kind of, uh, create a pipeline for people to come in at entry level and become supervisors, um, make sure that we had enough people for all the work that was being booked. You know, there was two um, uh, really influential people for me, uh, you know, running the different divisions. There was uh, Nancy Bernstein and Ed um, Mm Ulbrich in charge of their respective divisions. Um, And they would just, you know, they wanted the freedom to go out with their supervisors, their top tier people and book work. And they wanted no limits. They wanted to book as much work as they could get because that's the way it works. You know, you gotta, you gotta do that. And so my job was to make sure that whatever they booked was actually doable. You know, that we could back it up with like a team and some resources and methods and so on. And uh, that's a complicated problem because uh, you don't wanna, um, you can't afford to have like resources sitting and waiting, so you've got this constant game of like keeping uh, keeping it and, right sized, uh, and investing in the stuff that's going to help you book the next job. You know, in terms of technology and, and developments.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a challenging thing. I mean, that was you know, it, it's such a feast or famine type scenario. You know, in, in visual effect and and yeah. uh, even you know in in the commercial. If you do broadcast, I was just having this conversation with uh, uh, one of the founders of uh, Zoic. it's like in the commercials, uh, when they did broadcast TV, it was, you know, you, uh, you end up your uh, your pilots and then you have all this stuff and then everything dies down and then you have to let go of everyone. But in the same time, like DD was booking all of these great, really big visual effect type movies. But then those movies came out in the summer because it was the summer blockbuster. And in the summer, we, <laughs> it was yes. this lull of work, right? Yeah.
2: I tended to go in and out a little bit, but it yeah. was much more manageable than it had been at the smaller tippet studio. Cause we had more, you know, more great supervisors to do more great work. And, and right. the commercial division was really a big part of that. Um, I think that was one of the things that I got directly involved in almost immediately when I got there was trying to create a stable, you know, kind of uh, group just for commercials. You know, like there was was people embedded in features that were that were available sometimes. But if you book them to a long feature, suddenly Ed has no one, you know. And um, it it was so, you know, people like Eric Barba uh, was, you know, he was sort of the linchpin for that group. And um, Mm -hmm. he ended up, of course, you know, developing relationships with the great directors that he was working with and bringing features over as well. So that turned out to be smart, you know, because those relationships in the commercial division. Uh, could lead to to great feature work as well, um, but yeah, you know we we tinkered constantly with the the way things were set up, and um, I don't know. I mean, this is this is all just sort of management inside baseball stuff. But um, I think one of the things I liked about what Scott Ross had done with uh, Digital Domain was he set up this classic sort of matrix structure, you know, where you had um, uh, forces kind of working, you know, uh, sort of at odds with each other, but that was what kept it stable. So you had producers and, um, you know, producers care about their show. I care about my show. If I'm a producer, you know, like I want the best people and I want them early and available and standing by for me. And then you have department managers and department heads on the other side who are like, I need to keep the best talent available for whatever comes my way. So, right. um, those things kind of are a natural tension and the way that we, you know, kind of resolved it um, was to insist on really good scheduling and really good planning practices for production. You know, like if you want an artist, you've got to have a plan for your, for your production or you can't get them, you know, cause we're mm-hmm. not going to hold them for you. Um, anyway, it was constant battles like that. You were, there was this, it was not like an ugly battle, but there was, you know, like uh, I think a smart tension um, to kind of keep the producers honest with like, this is a real show. This is a real plan. This is really booked, This is happening. Here's my, here's my schedule. And the, the department heads, you know, were like, if they, if they had that, they had to supply the people. So the recruiting engine was always good.
0: I think what was interesting about Dede at the time is that, I mean, th- there wasn't that many, visual effects schools as there is today or things of that nature, right? You didn't, there, yeah. People learned that stuff on their own, etc. But what was so impressive about DD is that DD seemed to find the right people that were pretty junior, or this was their first job in visual effects. And they always found, like, the best junior people possible. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what secret sauce was available, but it was pretty incredible <laughs> that you well, managed to do that. Really well.
2: I, I can tell you what the secret sauce was. It was fun. It was a fun place to work. You know, right. and um, I think um, that just brought in a lot of options for us. People wanted to be there. You know, It was a, mm-hmm. we're starting out. It was definitely a place to be. And there was a lot of freedom, um, too, for people to uh, to kind of rise to their own watermark and, um, you know, become, uh, you know, good at something that they didn't start out being good at. Um, yeah. And there was enough structure that it wasn't, like, um, risky, you know. I mean, the place it was remarkable at how it could... Um, managed to, you know, kind of keep going on that margin, that razor thin margin between what it costs to do something. And I think the other secret sauce they had or have um, is the quality of the work, you know, that was always like the, the main thing. And it was something both yep. Nancy and Ed believed in as like the way we get the next show is to make this win the best, you know, like, and that definitely, that definitely went all the way down. Um, so yeah, we did have a great culture too. I mean, it was it was a fun place to work. You were there; you remember it was. It I was, was
0: there through three control. different three iterations of Digital Domain, so I definitely remember that one. And you know, I was there. I mean, I, I I was there during the Martini night uh, oh, yeah, days, right? And uh, I we had Evan Jacobs invited me. You you had started some committee about culture at DD, oh, and. Good. And uh, and Evan Jacob was like, you, Chris, you should join because you're always very vocal about this stuff, and you're very excited. And, and something came up about Martini uh, Night, and and you said, I don't think we need to do anything about Martini Night. It's operating just fine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well yeah you know i that was good while i was there i think it did eventually run its course after i left it did run
0: its course which is which is what it should do but it was fun to have that thing but i think at a certain time like there was a that made dd exciting people knew about it and that was a place a destination to be and yeah. you i've met so many interesting people there and had great conversations with people like yeah. it was the first place i met paul de uh right. and who else yeah, was people, there? Would come, um,
2: people would come for that event it was like a you know I wish yeah. I could remember, you probably do, hopefully you do, what were the name of the two guys that started that?
0: Rocco and Steve Blakey. <laughs> yeah, Robert,
2: Blakey. Those yeah. guys were legends. Yeah. 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 It was one of those things They came to, to us and kind of, they weren't really asking permission, but they were kind of, you know, they had to, I mean, they were going to do it at, at DD. Right. Um, and uh, they were very good at uh, making their case and just being cool about it, you know. And they ran it smooth. They had, I think, they hired people to come in. I mean, it was, it was well done, and uh, they kept it kind of at a, a, reasonable level. I think things kind of escalated over time, but
0: um, yep. But uh, they kept it. They try to keep it in in a good yeah. space. That's right. It was a
2: classy event for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think one of the times I remember, like Volker Angle was there. And uh, he used to drive a, a DeLorean. I don't know if you remember, but his DeLorean license plate said uh, VFX ID4 on it. It was hilarious. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but I get a ride in his DeLorean, which was like, great. <laughs> he took it around the yeah. block. I've never been in a DeLorean before. Yeah, right. After
2: so a was, too. So
0: yeah, nice. I know. So, well, you know. <laughs> Different times, uh, but okay. But uh, now I do. I do want to make sure we get into talk about Leica and all the amazing things you've done there. So oh, you sure. said you've been there for 14 years. So which is a like, substantial. So a lot. Like first of all, what drove the decision to go up there and and, and, and do the things you're doing there?
2: That's probably its whole podcast. But um, <laughs> that was you know another one of those. I I've been at, at DD for a long time. I kind of ended up running the uh, the the what they call the digital studio you know, Mm -hmm. so I had oversight over technology too. Um, and there was a shift, uh, with, you know, with the, uh, the sale, you know, the ownership changed, uh, which was something that just was kind of like a, a timed out thing. I mean, like Scott Ross should explain that one to you, but they did have to, they did have to bring in somebody, you know, some, there would, there needed to be a new, some new people at the table in order to keep the thing going. And, um, and the, uh, the people that came in were fine. You know, I, I, I got along with Texture. I thought he was a great, you know, visionary of, his, of, of, a, of a sort. Um, and, uh, and then, they, you know, they brought in some new blood in terms of leadership, the, the, the trio from, from uh, ILM mm-hmm. with, uh, uh, and Kim Librarian and Cliff Plummer coming in. So, you know, my role was changing. And, um, and I was looking at maybe I've run the course here. Maybe it's time for something new. Um, I did stick with it for another year after that and kind of, you know, ended up in this, um, uh, you know, I was like the guy who was the way things used to be done and the Mm -hmm. way things were going to be done was, was the future. And yet I was the one also where everyone knew, you know, where he sat and how to come and talk to him and complain about shit. (laughs) So I basically was that I would, I'd be, and I I got tiresome after a while, you know, it's like, I can't really steer anymore. Um, uh, But I certainly have to hear about it from everybody. So, you know, I started to look around. Um, I almost went to DreamWorks, but I did meet some people at, um, at Leica during one of the Seagraph years. Um, it was a programmer, John Pearson, who actually had been at DD and he connected me with some folks there. Um, and I was just blown away by their, you know, the ambition of their plans. They had kind of a uh, an idea to build this, you know, multi-production studio doing stop motion and CG. I loved stop motion. I loved the whole idea, and I had been to visit Venton before, you know, when it was just Will Benton, uh, and knew about the kind of, you know, it was a cool team. It was a cool creative team. You could tell they had um, uh, the the sort of the right base ingredients. And if the mission was build this into a major studio, I will. I wanted in. You know that sounded fun to me.
0: Benton um, did the California raisins. That's one of the things that they are for, that. right? Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. It was a it was a, a Portland company for going back 25 years or so. Um, and Travis Knight was a an animator there, an intern, learned animation there. Wow, you know that story. There's a whole story. But and
0: Travis Knight is related to Phil Knight. <laughs> yeah,
2: he is the CEO. He is the guy who runs Leica. You know, Travis right. Knight is the. The creative visionary and the owner, really. I mean, uh, it's a night family thing, but Travis is running the place day to day. So, anyway, uh, that seemed like a good gig, and I, I, I made the move. Uh, my kids were. How like, did your
0: wife oh, feel about the move now? <laughs>
2: it was, she, at this point I had earned a little trust, you know. Okay. <laughs> like, she was like, "Okay, we'll, we'll give this a try," and it has worked out great. I mean, I love Portland. It's a great city. Yeah. And it's a, it was a good change of pace. You know, LA is also wonderful, but it seems like no matter what you do in LA, you're, you're still, you know, trying to get, you know, your head above water. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of attractive things about coming up here. Uh, and the work, uh, was particularly interesting. You know, like this, this, it was a a thing I love to do, which is like build an organizational structure, you know, figure out what the, technology uh, sort of infrastructure needs to be to support this creative vision, Um, very ambitious. Uh, I have to say though, like it was not like a, wasn't a break from the intensity of DD, which I kind of thought it might be. I thought, oh, this will be like, you know, they make the whole movie, it moves slower, you know, doing five, six projects at once. Um, Turned out to be just as intense because, you know, startups are hard, you know, it's like, it's a hard thing to do. And this was very much a startup, um, even though it was, uh, well funded at the time. Um, you still got to figure out how to do it, you know, <laughs> how to do all this right. stuff. And, uh, there were a lot of different ideas about what should be done. Um, and so when Coraline wrapped, I came in just at the end of Coraline, mm. Coraline wrapped, um, the, the vision of doing multiple productions of doing like CG and stop motion, uh, that kind of all collapsed into one vision, which was Travis's vision. Um, uh, let's just get back to basics and make stop motion movies, the best stop motion movies we can make. Right. And focus on our core strengths. And he, he felt like we were getting a little too, uh, spread out. And I think that was probably right on. I mean, when I got there, there was a team of I have to say maybe 50 TDs, you know, working on a pipeline for a movie wow. that didn't exist, you know, and uh, right. so it was just some stuff that was going off, off target. And you've seen how that happens, you know, like, sure. uh, I think of, uh, Bob Zemeckis's place in Nevada, you know, that All was right. a huge operation to build a pipeline that was a very smart, you know, like kind of approach to filmmaking, but without the films coming into it, what do you do with it? You know, right? Um, and it kind of had that feel, and so they reorked. they changed everything, and um, I think um, my role had I sharpened. it. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, what can I do with this new vision? Um, and my pitch was, uh, well, let's 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 keep some of these smart TDs. I mean, there's a good team of TDs here. Let's let's keep as many of them as we can to like build a um, a technology, you know. A process for stop motion filmmaking. You know, there's gotta be things we can do better on stop motion. And in fact, there were a lot of things. I mean, there was sure, you know, there was not a, there was no real color pipeline. Uh, there was, uh, you know, no real database, you know, people were keeping things on their desktops and, you know, there was no, no even understanding of, um, a directory structure. <laughs> yeah. So we started from, from the basics, um, it was a great team of people. Rob Blau was, was there with me and, uh, mm-hmm.
0: um,
2: I think you probably know him. He's, he's, he's gone on to do other things with shotgun and so on. Yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, over the course of Paranorman and, um, box trolls, we built out, you know, technology as a resource for stop motion filmmaking. And, right. um, there was also a parallel effort at the time to, um, make visual effects something that was, you know, a bigger part of the films. You know, I think on Coraline, everything was about doing it in camera. Uh, visual effects was a, a really good comp team, you know, cleaning up the shots. There was minimal, if any, CG elements. Um, uh, and so that was something that if some of us wanted to see grow and some of us didn't. There was some tension there, but it was, you know, healthy um, because Nobody wanted to stray from what made the films beautiful, but it was, how do we make this fit in, uh, they right. do more. And over the years, um, that has developed into a real consensus of what we're doing, you know, which is making these hybrid films, um, and visual effects under the leadership of Steve Emerson. He was, he was there on Coraline and he stuck with it. Um, he has really established it as an equal partner, you know, on the films. Uh, you know, and they're they're in early. I mean, it's a dream. It's a for a visual effects person, it's a dream because you're you're part of the process from day one, from the storyboards. You know, and it's not like getting a huge turnover. You know, with a bunch of uh, uh, you know stuff that doesn't cut together very well, and they missed a few right. points. You know, they missed this and that, and you've got to all make it work. This this is an opportunity to be there when they shoot it, and you know, like. And plus, the, the actors don't move, you know, unless the animator moves them. So you can pop in little green screens when you need to, and, you know, you can do all kinds of cool things to make, uh, to make things yeah. come together later. Um, but, yeah, I think um, that's been the mission. I think it really took off on Kubo. Kubo is the film where we got nominated for a visual effects Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. But you,
0: so you, so you guys. I mean, what, what are you doing? I mean, obviously your characters still all stop motion animated, right? But you've uh, you've supplemented uh, it with not all of them. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean,
2: the hero characters are, you know, and the hero, and every character is designed that way, as if you know. And um, but if you if you look at the films, you'll see, you know, uh, Paranorman, for example, uh, there was like a crowd scene in a in a city where there was like a little mini riot of some sort but it was really as many puppets as an animator could animate, you know, right. several animators on the stage and they, there's only so many puppets you could animate by hand in a shot. Right. And, and um, I think that, that one was like a peak for that, for the practical puppet, you know, shot right. with a crowd. Um, so on later films, as we had bigger crowd scenes, bigger vistas and the, the, um, the filmmakers wanted to, you know, make bigger films, CG became a bigger part of it. And uh, and the team, the the, the visual effects team is excellent at uh, fitting in, and that's essentially what visual effects is all about. It's like yes, you know, show me something, and I I will match it. You know,
0: yeah, yeah. I think that's amazing. I love the I love you know what what you guys obviously I mean like us an amazing studio and does great stuff and some very. Always very impressed with the like a film, so I'm very excited about it. Now, I was reading somewhere that you guys were starting to look at some other technology which you were using for, as techno- for, for stop motion, hmm. using three D printing and certain areas like that. So, oh, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that? That sounds really interesting.
2: Yeah, that is a whole like section of our um, of our filmmaking process, and it's the facial animation process essentially, right? So, okay, uh, the the idea is that. Uh, instead of building a mechanical rig for a puppet and animating it face by hand, which limits the range of expressions and, you know, kind of what the puppet can do, because just naturally, what, what can you build an armature that can do? Um, and that, that a hand can animate at that size. The idea, brilliant idea by a couple of guys back on, on Coraline, um, Martin Meunier and uh, Brian McLean, who started this department. Uh, they were like, well, let's use replacement animation, which is basically, you know, I'll put a shape on and then I'll take a picture and then I'll take that shape off and put another shape on and take another picture. So you're not animating the face, you're just using these prints as different, uh, you know, like steps in the performance. Right. Uh, so uh, that was hugely successful. I mean, the, the puppets were very expressive. They seemed more real. You could connect with them better. Uh, the director loved it, Travis loved it, um, and so that's developed over the years, and it's quite a technical marvel. I mean, at this point, you know, back then we were doing kits of faces, right? So you'd have, like, a limited range still, because you can only, like, manage so many prints. I mean, the prints took a long time. We only had one or two printers at the time, uh, right. but... Uh, Now we've got a fleet of printers and we're doing like basically a bespoke performance for every shot, you know, like we just, so there's tens of thousands of faces, you know, and, uh, that's its own technical challenge to try to organize all those faces so that the animators get the right ones for the right shots.
0: (laughs) And, uh, that's amazing. So every, every frame is, is uh, printed.
2: Yeah. It's animated in Maya. The Maya performances are approved by the director and then they are printed as that, as whatever, whatever they put in there. And so there's, there's, you know, a lot of rigging work that goes into making that possible. Um,
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And where where, where are some of the best places we could see some of those performances?
2: I mean, all the movies. Um, okay. The the thing I would do is just look up, uh, you know, the behind the scenes videos, um, for, uh, Any of the movies you know there's a lot that was shot for Kubo, a lot that was shot for missing link that shows the process completely from beginning to end and you can see exactly how it works Uh, Yeah. yeah that's that's a definite area of growth the other big area of growth for us uh technologically is um you know so We do a lot of fabrication. We build sets, you know, we have carpenters, we have uh, seamstresses, we have, you know, people who develop fabrics and, um, and we have uh, puppets that are, you know, little engineering marvels of themselves, you know, like their armatures inside and these are all designed and printed or not printed, but machined in metal parts. Um, And over the years, that process has been very traditional in terms of its um, fabrication methods. And we are in a shift right now towards uh, making as much of that digital as possible so that at the beginning of the film we're working from a, you know, a database of armatures and uh, you know, types of uh, uh, mechanical designs inside the puppets that can be extended on and reused and uh, also deployed into um, you know, digital assets in the visual effects department. And to, to, to do, you know, simple rigging and things like that. Um, so the puppets are more and more, the digital process is more and more embedded in how we make the puppets. Uh-huh. And in the set department, um, this is the big focus, like, right now on this film. We're trying to, um, to bring a digital asset into the production design process so that they, instead of doing illustrations and then handing them to a set designer who breaks it down into drawings for carpenters Uh, that will continue. But we'd like to also have, um, you know, a digital environment that before you build anything, you can like go in and change the lighting and play around with the camera angles, put it in Unreal Engine uh, and explore and kind of make decisions on what you want to build and and be a little bit more um, effective with making those decisions earlier in the process. And, you know, also keeping that asset continuity all the way through to visual effects and potentially also onto virtual stages, which is- Right. When, um, yeah.
0: yeah, well, you're speaking my language because I love that idea of keeping everything cont- continuous in, in, in that way. And I think it's really important. Um, so, I mean, virtual art departments are great and it's great that you guys are sort of exploring that. It totally makes sense, you know, see it before you build it, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. Um but yeah, I, I yeah, I heard uh Darren was mentioning that you guys are, are doing uh LED, you know, backlighting in, in a lot of ways and stuff like that. Is that yeah.
2: I mean um it is uh in the early stages, but we're totally doing it. We've jumped in with both feet. I mean, this was one of those things uh that we started to to see at Seagraph every year, how everybody else was starting to do in camera visual effects, you know and uh that work at ilm you know uh, a few years ago that was was shown you know i was like wait a second that's our thing we do in camera and at the same time as as you know big studios like ilm and dd were moving towards this virtual in camera style we were actually shooting more green screens you know we were actually layering things more and you know like struggling with uh you know, capturing um you know, enough elements together in, in, at one time, because the elements are so hard to deliver in a timely manner. Right. Um, so it, it became a mission for us. Like, wait a second, we, we, this, we can do this too. We can get in this game because that's what we do. We're in camera. We're all the time in camera. And, right. um, and so, yeah, we, we, we had uh, the guys from Epic uh, come out, Kim LaBerry came out and helped me do a little dog and pony um, kind of presentation to the key creatives about what was possible and people bought into it right away. You know, our, sure. our, our main producer, Ariane Sutner, the head of production, she was like, let's figure this out. And so we're doing it on this current movie. Um, we do have a shot that we're working on right now, um, with a digital asset and puppets in the foreground and, a you know, an animated, uh, truck. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a bitch. It's a challenge. I have to tell you, <laughs> there's a lot of shit to figure out. I mean, right. we're, we're working hard to, um, keep the whole asset development work in the usd pipeline that we use for visual effects so nice so that we can easily jump into um the virtual stage and all that's technically you know supported but it's uh (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh we have a lot to talk about i can tell you i've been i've been down the rabbit hole of usd i've been down the rabbit hole of virtual production uh and it's all very exciting so i actually probably should tell you a little bit more offline about what's going on with us because you might be interested to find out yeah. about that yeah i'd love to hear um that. but yeah this is this is uh that's that's amazing quote so what what is the do you, can you tell us what the name of the movie you're working on now or yeah, what looking i'm looking
2: glad to, to say i can it's uh because we're we're announcing stuff, you know, we're talking about stuff these days and uh, this movie has been announced. It's called Wildwood. Uh, it's based on a uh, young adult fiction uh, series written by Colin McElroy, who is a, you know, a member of the Decemberist. It's a band. That, that's a- mm-hmm. make- yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, his founding member, I think it's him and his, his wife that run that band, uh, but it's a great story. Uh, it takes place in Portland. Um, yep. And uh, which is really fun for our crew, because we're basically, you know, recreating uh, Portland in miniature and shooting scenes in it. And uh, yeah, I mean, and we're going to be working on it for a couple of years. <laughs> so you'll see it in hopefully 2024. I don't know. You know, like, it'll, OK, it'll be a while. But uh, but at the same time, you know, we've announced some other projects that are in development. And uh, the studio is is super ambitious right now. So our studio is going to be supporting live-action films as well. I think in the future. Okay. Uh, It's uh, it's a very interesting time at Leica. Um, And yeah, we've actually been bringing in some new folks. Um, We have Jonathan Gerber up here now from. uh, Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Brandon Ashworth, you may remember him. He's also. Okay. Yeah. 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 And uh, anyway, um, yeah, it's there's a lot of growth going on. A lot of different. That's
0: awesome. That's, I actually wanted to have Jonathan on the podcast as well at some point. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, you'll have to reach out to him and hear his story.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's
2: doing oh, the work right. that needs to be done. You know, we, as I was explaining, we've got this whole push to do digital assets across the board, right? Um, right. And it's you know it, it's hard to get everybody to agree on on what a what an asset is. You know, like uh, and he's he's digging into that. And, that's cool. Uh, making it work.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being on here. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's awesome uh, talking to you, hearing your story, and also you know, figuring out you know what's going on at Leica and some of the amazing things you guys are doing. Very much looking forward to the next movie. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for doing this.
2: It's my pleasure. Yeah, uh, this podcast is cool. I'm glad you're doing it. It's, uh, it's a fun thing.